Well, 10, what time did we start today? 10.30. 10.30. How are we doing today? Yeah. Well, listen, you can tell uh, if you look around the room, it's a little lighter in here today. It's because people actually started showing up to the, the early service. I think we had the largest early service that we've ever had before. Uh, so now, guess what we get to focus on doing? We get to focus on filling this room back up. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, so obviously, we stepped into our new uh, service times today. So people are trying to figure out what service they go to. Uh, but a couple quick announcements before we get started. We put it on one slide today so that the ladies and the men could get loud at the same time. But we have our retreats coming up. I need, I need some help. I don't know how I need to prep y'all more for like to get loud for that. We have our retreats coming up. Hey, there we go. You got you got a little louder that time. But hey, take a look at those dates. Ladies, I need glasses. Your retreat is, somebody can read it behind me, July can y'all see it? If I turn around, can I see it? There you go. Fellas, our retreat is August the 17th through the 19th, so make sure you sign up for that. Hey, so we're stepping into our new series called Crossover, and, and we'll be in this series for about the next four weeks, and we're going to dive into four specific areas, crossing over into a house of revival, crossing over into a house of generations, crossing over into a house of presence, and crossing over into a house of nations. And so what I want to do is I want to connect the dots from our Altered series to our Crossover series. So take a look at this first picture that they have on the screens. Anybody remember doing these as a kid? Anybody, any parents in the room that still do this with their kid now? I, I, I love, what I love is I love co- coloring with my daughter right now. Uh, but she gets these pictures. I don't know, has she ever done one of these? I don't know if she's ever done one of these yet. Maybe we need to get her one to do. But can anyone find number one for me? Bottom left. All right, and so what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to connect the dots, right? One to two to three. How many of you know this is what we want our life to look like oftentimes? God, I'll follow you with everything I am as long as I can see the full picture. God, I'll follow you with all that I am as long as I can tell, tell where number one connects to number two, where number two connects to number three. Does anybody else feel that way? Like, I, I'm okay following God as long as I can see the full picture. I'm okay following God as, as long as I can see a few steps ahead of me. But how many of us know that life doesn't look like this picture? Life looks like this one. How many of you can find number one? First person that finds number one, I'll give him a hundred bucks. Trick question, because I couldn't find number one when I had the piece of paper in front of me. But, but that's, that's the difference in life, right? Like we say, God, I will follow, God, I will follow you with everything that I am, but I need you to give me the full picture. I'll follow you with everything that I am as long as I understand where you're carrying me. God, I'll follow you with everything that I am as long as I can still control certain areas of my life. Or we can say, God, you know what? I'll truly follow you even when I don't fully understand what's going on. God, God I, think, I think this looks like a giraffe right now, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's a bunch of birds flying in the air. But Lord, I, I don't know every step, but God, I'm, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to trust everything that you have for me. God, I'm going to trust you even when it seems obscure. I, I don't know about you, but in my life, connecting the dots uh, has oftentimes looked like the picture on your right, my left, than the other picture of the pig. Think back to our altered series and looking at King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, starting in verse 24. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present offerings that have cost 
me nothing. Whatever season we're crossing into, what I know is this, it's going to cost us something. Crossing over into a new phase of life will always cost us something. Crossing over into a new season for our church will always cost us something. First Chronicles chapter 22 Picking up in verse 1, then David said, this will be the location for the temple of the Lord and the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. R- regardless of what else, whatever else we do as multiplied church, I want this to be a place where the Spirit of God dwells. I, I want it to be a place where, where people ask the question, hey, you, I've heard, I, I, said, I said this story a couple weeks ago and I'll mention it again in the service, but, but, but I wonder if people truly meet God here. I heard at Multiply Church, they, pl- they pray over marriages. I-, I wonder if they're truly meeting God there. I, I heard at Multiply Church that-, that people get saved. They step into a relationship with Jesus. I-, I wonder if they truly meet God there. And then we keep reading in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 10. When the priest came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priest could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. What we see throughout scripture and and what we see throughout human history is this. The sacrifice of one generation fuels the move of God in the next generation. Listen, I, I, I truly believe in the power and the presence of God. But I also know if I believe in good, then I have to recognize that there's evil in the world as well. Think about the culture and the society in which we live in. Think about the past few weeks and some of the headlines that we've seen. For example, it started off with something like this, a nation outwardly praying because of a football player who collapsed on a football field. Then fast forward a couple weeks and and our nation is watching the Grammys and someone is dressed up as Satan himself in one of the performances. And then fast forward a week later and we have this revival that's breaking out in Asbury College that popular press can't fully explain. I don't know what's going on there, but they're experiencing something. And then fast forward a week later, and then we have this movie called The Jesus Revolution being one of the top grossing movies in America. One critic wrote this, Respite, despite mixed critic reviews, the movie was awarded an A-plus from Cinescore and 99% on Rotten Tomatoes from the general public. How many of you know that 99% of the population in the general public is not following Jesus? But they gave, they gave this movie the highest score possible. I'll be honest with you, Jenna and I went and watched this movie, and uh, I was like having church during the movies. Like they would say a line that I agreed with, and I was like, say it again, like he was a pastor or something like in front of me. People behind, like in front of me kind of like looking up, I'm like, sorry, <laughs> I'll pray for your soul after, right? If revival happened before, if revival happened throughout Scripture, If revival has happened in our nation before, then it can absolutely happen again. But there's one key component, and I believe this, as the church, we have to stop fixating on the negative that's around us. I didn't say we have to ignore the negative that's around us. I didn't say that we we don't have to deal with the negative that's around us, but we can't fixate on the negative. This next week, or this week and next week, we're going to be in the book of, of Zechariah. Some of y'all are like, uh, come again. Where, where's, where's that book of the Bible? 
Uh, fun fact, when I, when I went to Bible college, I, I did not follow Jesus for a long time before I went to Bible college. I followed Jesus for less than a year before I went to Bible college. I would get in some of my, my classes, and I'd be in like an Old Testament, or say I was in a New Testament class, they would like, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I'd be like, hey, what page number is that on? Because <laughs> I don't know my books of the Bible yet. So if you don't know where Zechariah is, go to the New Testament, all right? That's the, the first book in the New Testament is Matthew. You're going to go back. One book, that'll put you in the Old Testament, that'll be the book of Malachi, and then go back one more book, and that will be the book of Zechariah. But before we dive in today, let me give you like this synopsis or this historical context of what's going on in the book of Zechariah. We read in 2 Kings that the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, were, uh, took captive many of the rich, educated, and powerful families that were in Jerusalem around 597 B.C., so 600, roughly 600 years before Jesus walked the earth, the Israelites were taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. We pick up in Zechariah chapter 1 when King Cyrus is in charge of Babylon and he allowed the Israelites to return from captivity, to return from bondage, to return from their slavery. And because of the family lineage, Zechariah was a priest, but he was also considered a prophet. One commentary writes it this way, Zechariah, a young man, especially when compared to his contemporary Haggai, came alongside the older prophet to deliver messages from the Lord to the Jewish remnant, recently returned from Babylon. When Haggai's overall message had more of a cautionary tone to it, pointing out the Jews' sin and, and their self-focus, Zechariah emphasized a tone of encouragement to the struggling Israelites trying to rebuild the temple of the Lord. So pause here and let me teach for a moment. You'll hear me in this sermon series that we're going to be in. You'll hear me talk about major prophets and minor prophets. So let me tell you the difference between major prophets and mi minor prophets. It's not that one is more important than the other. It's that minor prophets simply have shorter books of the Bible and major prophets have longer books of the Bible. So this is how I like to say it. When I taught my classes, I would say it like this. Minor prophets give you cliff notes, all right? <laughs> Major prophets are the books that you really didn't like reading in school. There's like 600 pages, and you're like, i got to read this whole thing, and you kind of thumb through it. Now, don't do that with the Bible, okay? Read through the whole thing, all right? But that's the difference between major prophets and minor prophets. But the book of Zechariah contains the clearest and largest number of messianic passages among all of the minor prophets. Say, Zach, what does that even mean? Basically, it means that Zechariah talks about Jesus more than any other minor prophet. Zach, how does a minor prophet in the Old Testament talk about Jesus? Didn't he come 600 years after they got out of captivity? Absolutely, but we see Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament. A lot of people will believe that Jesus is only in the New Testament, but we see the power and the presence and the Spirit of God throughout the Old Testament as well. Some have called Zechariah a miniature book of Isaiah because Zechariah pictures Christ in both his first coming in chapter 9 and at the end of chapter 9, stepping into chapter 10, he talks about Jesus his, he talks about Jesus' second return. Zechariah also mentions this, that Jesus will come as a savior, a judge, and ultimately as the righteous king ruling his people from Jerusalem. So the overarching theme of this entire book is, is simple. Continue to build the temple and that will lead you towards your future. So let's talk about crossing over and building this house of revival. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 3 says this, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy 
mountain. I, I love this section in verse 3. I have returned and I will dwell among you. Think, think back to our, say we're in 2023. How does this relate back to us? Think over the last three years. I know God didn't go anywhere but if you look back over the past three years, anyone in the room, have you ever had moments in your life where you said something along the lines of, hey, God, where are you? Anybody at all by a show of hands? Anybody wondering, like, hey, hey, God, God, where are you? Like, God, I know you say you're in control, but, but where are you? I know you say that you're present and you're there, but, but where, like, where, where are you? Hey, God, I have some really good ideas. If you want to listen to me for a few moments, I'm sure I can get you on the right path. Any, anybody ever talk to God like that? No, just me? Like, I'm up here as a pastor. I'm going, hey, God, <laughs> come on, bud. Where are you? Because can we go back to those dots? <laughs> I know I'm throwing it for a loop right now. Let's go back to the dots for just a second. Because we act like this. God, I'm good. I'm good when I can see the full picture. I don't know if I can trust you with that. God, I don't know if I can trust you with, with my entire life. I can, I can trust you with the things as long as I can categorize them, as long as I can put them in the order that I want to, as long as everything looks linear. Because it's e really easy to go from 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 all the way to 50. 50 steps I'm good with. The largest number that I can find on this, and I found it earlier, I see uh, 1241, 1242, 1246, 47, I think 1240, I think 1248 is the largest number. Wow, I think that's a 1249 and it goes all the way across. Well, anyway, that messed up my whole thing. <laughs> Don't you feel like that in life sometimes? Yeah. It's like, God, I thought you were over here somewhere. How'd you end up over there? God, God, I thought we were, I thought we were good. I thought we were on this path. I thought I was following you. God, where, where are you? And that's exactly what I feel like sometimes. All y'all are super spiritual and never feel like that, evidently. It's like, God, where are you? But I'm reminded of Scripture. I have returned and I will dwell among you. I, I know I mentioned that youth camp in Oklahoma a couple weeks ago and a few moments ago during the sermon, but... There was this camp in, in Oklahoma. It's estimated that 5% of the entire population of Oklahoma have visited or been to that camp. Upwards of like 35 or 40% were impacted by that camp, by a family member going, a kid going, that kind of thing. But when the parents were dropping their kids off, uh, the, the, first, the first timers would often say something like, Hey, I heard they meet God there. I wonder if that's true. And I know I referenced it a few moments ago. We were just in our altered series. I wonder if our community is saying something like, hey, I heard, I heard Multiply Church was in this altered series. And I heard at the end of some of the services, people came up to the front and, and they were prayed over. I, I heard they met God there. And I, I wonder if that's true. Again, I said it earlier. I, I heard marriages were restored at the altar. I, I wonder if that's true. I heard businesses were prayed over, and, and I heard people I heard people met God there. I just wonder, and I wonder if that's true. I heard that I heard that if, if families are dealing with hard situations or hard moments, and, and they they feel like they need the presence of God in their life, people will pray for them at Multiply Church, and, and I heard 
I heard they, I heard they met God there. I wonder, I wonder if that's true. There are countless people walking around day in and day out wondering where God is in their life. People that don't even, they don't even believe in God, they'll inevitably throw their hands up and go, God, where are you? It's funny, people will say they don't believe in God until they really need something, and then it's like the last ditch effort. God, if you're there. God, if you're, re- if you're really there. People are wandering around every single day wondering where God is, but Scripture tells us that God is among the people. But what does that mean? That, mean, that means God is in the middle of your pain. It means God is in the middle of your joy. It means God is in the middle of your deepest and darkest valleys. It also means that God's with you on your highest mountaintops. I I talked to Brian. Brian was sitting over here first service, and I I referenced this. Um, Has anyone ever been on top of a mountain? It's beautiful on top of a mountain, right? Breathtaking on top of a mountain. You know what you can't do on top of a mountain? You can't live there. Think about it. What grows on top of a mountain? Barely anything. But in our life, we want to say, I want to just live on top of these mountaintop experiences, on top of these mountaintop moments. And God goes, hey, it's a great experience. You can't live there. It's really like I love being on top of a mountain. I love looking around. You get the view. You get a good deep breath, uh, fresh air. But you can't live on top of the mountain. This is what's funny to me. When it rains, let me put it this way. When it rains, where does the water go that hits the top of the mountain? It goes through the valley. But for some reason, we want to rush out of the valley. We want to rush out of the lowest points of our life. We want to rush out of the darkest moments of our life. But that's the, the, that's the very place that things grow. Now, I'm not saying we have to live in the valley forever, but but what I'm saying is we can't live on top of these mountaintop experiences. You know what that creates? That that creates this religiosity. It's like, I've got my stuff figured out. I've got all my stuff together, and and you can come up to the mountain when you get all your stuff figured out. We can't live on these mountaintop experiences. God will meet us at the top of the mountain, but man, he also meets us in the valley. He also meets us in the day Today, when we cross over to building a house of revival, we read in verse 4 this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. What I'm learning is this, the older generation will grow old with strength, vigor, and joy. I, I said this to a group of people Thursday night, but I think one of the most underrated groups in a church as a whole, not our church, but the global church, one of the most underrated groups of people in the church is grandparents. I think about holiday season, right? Think about Christmas or Easter, anytime your family gathers together. I, I love when my mother-in-law comes over to my house. Like, my girls get excited to see me when I get home. But man, if Gigi's coming over and Gigi walks in the house, it's a party. Like, they're... How many grandparents do I have in the room? Any grandparents spoil their grandkids? Yeah. And if you're sitting beside your kid and you're spoiling the grandkid, they're like, yeah, they spoil them. Stop it. But grandparents are there to, the grandparents are there to spoil the grandkids. With grandparents, there's so much joy, there's so much wisdom, there's so much guidance, and there's so much grace. 
But we continue to read in verse 5, And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls at play. We want to talk about building a house of revival. Then the older generation has to step up to their part. And the younger generation has to step up and do their part. There's something about watching kids play. They have energy. They have laughter. It's fun watching kids play as long as you're not the one like in charge of them. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday we were uh, in downtown Davidson. And uh, we went down for lunch and to meet some friends. And we went over to a little playground. And Piper's really good at playing with kids. Like she'll stay in the general vicinity of all the kids. Harlow doesn't understand that concept yet. Harlow wants to run after anything that's moving, like dogs, cars, other people. She just wants to run around. She's like, I don't want to play with these kids. I'm just going to run. Anybody ever been to downtown Davidson? Yeah, you know where the little playground is at the back of one of the other coffee shops? We ended up... Why'd y'all laugh? I don't know what you're talking about. We ended up... We walked all the way around, like down the back alley, and all the way around to the greatest coffee shop in Davidson, North Carolina, uh, called Good Drip. And, and then we walked all the way, but it was, ex- it was exhausting, like following my kid. Anwar, do you ever get exhausted, like chasing your kids around? Angie, you ever get, ex- like, you get exhausted chasing your kids around sometimes, but there's no doubt that they bring energy. There's no doubt that they, they bring laughter, they bring joy, even when we have to chase them down sometimes. Last week, I was in the lobby, and uh, Brax and Blake, they were walking around trying to find anything and everything they could to pick up to help us clean up the church after service. They're like, can we move that? Can we move that? Can we move that? I'm like, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. Go ask Megan. I don't know what needs to be put where. But they have, this, they have this energy about them that we absolutely need inside the church. I'm so thankful that we have a church that has youth and energy, but I'm also thankful that we have an older generation with strength, vigor, joy, and wisdom. We can't have one without the other. In fact, I don't want to have one without the other. So let's do this for a second. If, you have, if you're a grandparent in the room, if you're a grandparent in the room, all right, you raised your hands already. If you're a grandparent in the room, would you please stand up for me? You're like, I don't want to. Can we give it up for the grandparents in the room? Ricky, you're a grandparent? What? How old are you? 45 and a grandparent. That's wild. No, no, no. I didn't say y'all. I didn't say y'all sit down. Y'all stand back up. Y'all's back ain't hurting that bad. (laughs) I got the microphone. I can tell you what to do for a second. Respectfully, because you're grandparents. So it, let, me, let me do this now. If you're not a grandparent in the room, if you're not a grandparent in the room, I want you to stand up. It's a trick question. If you're not a grandparent in the room, I want you to stand up. Hey, can you look around just for a moment? Some of you are like, nope, not looking. Looking right at you, pastor, not looking at anybody else. But seriously, look around the room. It's going to feel a little awkward. It's okay. Look around the room. Some of you are like, I don't want to look around because I don't know who these people are. We'll get to know them. Because this is what I know. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do this thing called church or expanding the kingdom alone. One, we have to have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But two, we absolutely need each other. You can go ahead and sit back down. Give yourselves a round of applause for being good spirits. But here's the linchpin in verse 8. 
And I, will bring, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. I love that phrase. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Listen, since the beginning of time, God wants humanity, you and me, to have a covenant relationship with him. Now we have to go back to the beginning of the book of Zechariah. Remember, they just got out of captivity in Babylon. And Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you. So God says to return to him. If we continue reading in verse 6, the second part of verse 6 says this, Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. However, once they repented, they had to get to work. Fast forward to Zechariah chapter 8 and 9. Verse 9 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Not so that your own personal kingdom could be built. Not so your personal finances can be built. Not so that your family can be built. Not so that your security blanket can be built. But so that the kingdom of God, so that the temple may be built. I know I rushed through those three verses, but let me break them down a a bit further. What do we truly see? We see God calling us to three things. To return, to repent, and to restore. To return, to repent, and to restore. Return to what? To return to God. To stop running. Because it's not worth it. Any of y'all remember, uh, I'm a big country music guy. Any of y'all remember, I don't remember the name of the song, uh, but the lyrics go, uh, he's an angel with no halo and one wing in the fire. Anybody, I get, like, I'm getting a couple nods, and some of you are like, I've never listened to country music, and you just lost me. He's an angel with no halo. Nobody? All right, well, anybody feel like they ever lived that way? Like, you want to get as close, you, you want to get as close to sin as you can possibly, possibly get, but still follow Jesus. Chris, you kind of referenced this a couple weeks ago. And some of us live like that. You're like, I ain't got no halo. It fell off a long time ago. I I love Jesus, but man, I still got one wing in the fire. I love Jesus, and I'll show up to church, but but man, Monday through Friday, I'm not going to talk about Saturday night. I barely got here this morning. Not me, but you get what I'm saying. Did somebody just say sure? (laughs) I swear somebody was like, sure. But we live that way sometimes. I'm an angel with no halo. I got one wing in the fire. We live live as if we're not good enough. And God says, hey, listen, just return to me. And some of us live like this. I can't return to God because I'm so dirty. I can't return to God because I have so much sin in my life. That's nonsense. That's your prerequisite to showing up to God. Let me ask you this. Do you try to clean yourself up before you get in the shower? No, you get in the shower because you're dirty. Don't clean yourself up to come to church. We come to church because we're filthy, we're broken, and we need Jesus. This is where we're called to return to. Return to the power and the presence of God. Don't try to clean yourself up to act like you're something that you're not. Just come present yourself before God. Return. But why do we return? We return so that we can repent what is repentance is asking for forgiveness for anything that's keeping us from a relationship with the father so we return and we'll repent 
When we repent, we're cleaned up. God makes us right. We're in, with, we're in right standing with the Father. But we don't repent so that we can feel good about ourselves. We repent so that we can begin to restore. We repent so that we can rebuild. God says, hey, come, come home. God says, hey, don't worry about trying to clean yourself up before you come. I got you. I'll clean you up. But hey, when you get here, I want you to help me restore. I, I want you to help me rebuild. I, I want you to help me to continue to expand the kingdom. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 13 says this. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you. Some of you have felt like your life has almost been a curse. But the word of the Lord is this. I will save you. And you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. You want a house of revival? You, you, you want to see a move of God? You want to see the miraculous? Then God says, hey, return to me. Hey, repent from anything that's keeping me from you. And then help me restore. What I realize is this. Revival is not a handout. Revival is not passive. If you want to see God move in your life, then you have to start putting in the work. If you want to see revival in your own house, if you want to see revival in your business, if you want to see revival in your community, if we want to experience revival in this church, then we have to do the ordinary unordinarily well. You say, Zach, what's the ordinary? The ordinary is very simple. We're called to read scripture every single day. We're called to pray daily. We're called to worship daily. We're called to give thanks daily. Here's the problem. We're really, 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 really good at complaining, complaining to God daily. We're not really good at giving thanks daily. We're really good at saying, God, where are you? God, how could you? God, why haven't you? Opposed to, hey, God, thank you. I don't fully understand it, but thank you. I don't fully understand the season that I'm walking in, but thank you for being present. I don't fully understand the direction you're leading me, but thank you for being present. I don't fully understand where the next step is. I don't understand what doors are going to open. I'm kind of seeing doors that are closing. I don't fully understand, but thank you. If I'm not careful, I can kind of get a little uh, testy with God. Maybe a safe way to put it. But I do, God, how could you? God, I thought that we were going on this path. God, I thought I knew the direction that we were going. God, I thought we had this thing figured out. I thought I had the next few steps figured out. God, why did you, why did you take a hard right? What, where are you? Guess what I had to do? I had to return. I had to repent. Hey, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't fully trust you. Hey, God, whatever you're a part of, that's where I want to be. I just want to be a part of what you're doing. And if you're calling me this direction, then I'm going to go that direction. If you're going to call me to build here, then I'm going to build here. We have to return, restore, and repent. Doing the ordinary, unordinarily. Well, hey, for some of us, what does that look like? That means getting involved in a group. Doing the ordinary, unordinarily well. What I, what I have come to um, probably respect and value um, week in and week out with my wife, with Jenna, is uh, watching her go to her group on Monday night. So you stepped in, 
started helping lead the group about six weeks ago or so. For those of you who don't know my wife, uh, she's very, very introverted. All right? You'll probably never see her with a microphone on the stage, not because I hadn't tried to get her up here, because she chooses not to be up here. She's turning red now that I'm even talking about her out loud. But she does her devotions. She does the ordinary, unordinarily well. Mondays are probably one of her hardest days at work. She owns a bakery. It's probably one of her busiest days. She gets to the gym. She takes care of the girls. She works. And then she goes and leads a group of ladies. She does the ordinary, unordinarily well. There's a group of guys in this room that were a part of a men's Bible study. I talk about it all the time on Thursdays. I do not like waking up at 5 a.m. on Thursdays. I don't. I had to get up at 3 a.m. for four years when I was in the military. And I had to start working out at 4 a.m. every day that I was in the military. And I made a vow to myself when I got out of the military that I was not going to wake up unless I absolutely had to. But guess what? I set that alarm every Thursday and I'm there at 6 o'clock every Thursday. Because I want to do the ordinary, unordinarily well. I need, I need a group. I need people around me. Maybe doing the ordinary, unordinarily well is being a part of a team, serving in kids, being a part of the hospitality team, being a part of the worship team or the media team. Actually putting our hands to work because revival is putting your hands to work and acting in faith. Revival is changing your mindset from captive to heir. I've mentioned Carol Dweck a, a few times. She's a Christian psychologist. And she writes about these concepts of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And a fixed mindset would say, hey, I am where I am in my life because of my past. I am where I am in my life because of my parents. I am where I am in my life because of the, all the decisions that people made for me. And, and that, that's the only place I'll ever be. I'll never be any better than this. But a growth mindset says, you know what? Because of who God is in my life, I can move past all of those circumstances. I can move past all of those decisions. I can move past all of that failure. A growth mindset says, I'm not going to stay there, but I can move forward. I wonder how many Christ followers walk into a church, but they come in with this preconceived notion that they, they have this fixed mindset that I can only get so close to God because of all the brokenness in my life. I can only get so close to God. I can only get so close to revival. I can only get so close to, to the Holy Spirit because of everything that's wrong in my life. Again, can I remind you all the brokenness, all the fear, all the failure, all the sin. That's our prerequisite. We have to have that to present it before Jesus. Newsflash, if we didn't have sin, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we lived in this utopia, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we don't, so we do. We don't live a, in a utopia. We don't have a life that's free from sin. Therefore, we do need Jesus. It blows my mind that the very thing that we're supposed to present before Him, to lay it at His feet, is the very thing that we think keeps us away from Him. I think that's why we don't experience revival in our life. And I'm not talking about like all the revival where it has to be people lay down on the floor. You know, we don't leave this place for seven straight days. I'm not necessarily talking about that. But what I am talking about is an active move of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And I feel like we don't experience that sometimes. Why? Because one, we don't return. 
One, two, we don't repent. And even if we do repent, we wonder why we can't, we can't ever move past that repentance. It's because we never start to rebuild. God, forgive me of X, Y, Z. God goes, hey, you're forgiven. But we want to sit and wallow in that moment opposed to moving past it. God says, I've already taken care of it. Now help me rebuild. You want revival? Help me to rebuild towards revival. You want revival? Then, then start working on your family. You want revival? Then start working on your ordinary. You want revival? Then just spend time with me daily. You want to see a miraculous move of God? Then start doing the little things right. Start doing the little things well. Lamentations chapter 3 reminds us that his mercies are new every single morning. But we like to beat ourselves up day in and day out. Guess what? His mercies are still new every single morning. We like to remind ourselves why we aren't enough, but guess what? His mercies are new every single morning. We like to remind us of our brokenness, of our fear, our failure, of our sin, but guess what? His mercies are still new every single morning. If you've been around Multiply Church for any amount of time, you've heard some of these sayings. We've got it on t-shirts, we've got it on a couple hats. But the first one is this, don't talk about it, be about it. I don't want to just talk about following Jesus. I don't want to just talk about building a house of revival. I don't want to just talk about what God could do in our life. But I want to be about it. Zach Brock, I stole this one from you. Several months ago, I asked you, and I've mentioned this at church, but I asked you, man, how, how do I get better at CrossFit? <laughs> and your response was, just keep showing up. Just show up. How, how do we get better at following Jesus? You show up. Just keep showing up. You show up on the days that you don't feel like it. You show up on the days that you do feel like it. And you show up on every single day in between. I stole this one from... Darren and Katrina Riffle, uh, they just did their wedding uh, vow renewal yesterday, so they're on their second honeymoon. I guess it's technically their first because they didn't go on their, their first one. So this is their first honeymoon 10 years later. But they have a, a clothing apparel company, and on, on their clothing apparel, it says this, embrace the discomfort. I really wish Christ followers would stop being soft and we would truly embrace the discomfort. Jesus never said it would be easy. He never said that life would be perfect. He said, follow me. And part of following him is, is embracing the discomfort. You've heard me say this, consistency breeds growth. If we're consistent day in and day out, it will breed growth. But then this one, your as usual will lead to God's unusual. I'll spin it a bit. Your ordinary will lead to God's unordinary. Church, I, I feel it in my bones, at the very core of my being, with everything that I am, that we are about to step into a building season. Now, I don't necessarily mean a physical structure, but I mean that God is calling us to continue to build His kingdom, to stretch out the tent post and to stretch them wide. Just like the Israelites, when they left Babylon, they had to rebuild the temple. I don't care what type of culture we live in. I don't care what type of area we live in. I don't care who's in a political office, whether local, state, or on a national level. If God is calling us to build his kingdom, then we have to buckle up. We have to dig deep. We have to drop the excuses, get our hands a little dirty, and start building. Not just with our mouth and our words, but with our actions inside and outside the church. 
Listen, it's going to take wisdom and discernment from a seasoned generation. But it's also going to take energy and stamina from a younger generation. This is what I feel like the word of the Lord is speaking to us today. And we see it all throughout Zechariah. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. That's our rally cry. Usually I would say something like with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're all in, then show me your hand. But, but I feel like we need a little more accountability than that. I feel like we have to stop being so passive as Christ followers because I truly want to know who's all in. Who's all in to building the kingdom? Who's all in to building Multiplied Church? Not because of our name or what, or what we do, but it's because of who we represent. It's because of the name that we carry, and that name is Jesus. So as we step back into worship, here's what I feel like the Lord is saying to everyone that stands, to everyone that's committed to building a house of revival. And it's three words, brick by brick, brick by brick. What would it look like for us to truly build brick by brick, day in and day out, doing the ordinary unordinarily well? So as we step into worship, I'm gonna let you make the decision of whether you wanna stand or not.